Adoniram Judson is America's first missionary. Judson grew up in a Christian home. His father was a Congregationalist preacher. He was valedictorian at a little college in Providential, Rhode Island, now referred to as Brown University. He claimed faith from a young age, but while he was in his studies, he had made a close friend, a young man named Jacob Eames. Eames was a philosopher who rejected all revealed religion, including the Bible. Eames and Judson became good friends, and under Eames' influence, Judson's fractured faith crumbled. Afraid to tell his father, who's a pastor, that he lost his faith, Judson kept it a secret. But on his 20th birthday, in August 9th, 1808, he announced to everyone in his life that he was no longer a Christian. And so this valedictorian of this prestigious university left for New York to pursue a career writing for the theater in New York City. But all was not well with Judson. Just maybe a year of his time in New York, he had become penniless, become a man of deceit, knew the depths of sin. Figuring maybe New York wasn't his place, he decided one day to move west. And in his journey, one night, he stopped in a small little village. Going to the inn, he asked if there's any beds left. Any room at the inn? Sound familiar? One bed was left, but it was separated only by a curtain of a young man who was in the throes of death. And Judson recounted that whole night hearing this man groan, not being able to fall asleep and and struggling with these existential crises of his faith. Well, it grew quiet. Judson fell asleep, woke up in the morning, went to pay his bill. And as he was leaving, he asked, who... Who was the man who died last night? I said, oh, it was a young man who also went to a university in Providence, Jacob Eames. The very person who helped lead Judson away from his faith, now gone, close friend, not knowing that his best friend was just a curtain away on his deathbed. Through his own moral instability, through the questions and doubts of faith, and now the, the death of this influential friend, Judson was in a tailspin at an all-time low in which he would recount in his memoirs later that him being in that inn was no mere coincidence. Months later, Judson gave his life to Christ. And years after that, became the very first missionary to ever leave the shores of America to go to Burma, modern-day Miramar. And this story about America's first missionary shows us how the Lord is willing to to let us get at the end of our tether, to bring us to a low point in life, to bring us even to a place of darkness in order that God may reveal to us in those moments who he really is. On the famous words of George Mueller, faith begins where man's power begins ends. And this is what we see today in our passage in this very well-known story of of this runaway prophet recounting a prayer while in the belly of this great sea creature. 
God has led Jonah to a point to where he is at the end of his tether, in a place of complete darkness, in order that Jonah may reveal who God really is, that he is a God who is gracious and merciful. And that is the main point that I want us to see from this passage this morning, that God brings us low in order to show us his merciful heart. And when we look, when we, tr- when we look at this passage, let us consider that main point in the back of our minds, how God brings us low in order to show us his merciful heart. Let's read the passage now, uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 17. In the Hebrew Bible, verse 17 is part of chapter 2, so I'll begin reading there. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. What we are going to see in this very well-known story is how Jonah's prayer in the belly of the fish highlights the nature of God's grace. That God is doing his best to teach Jonah something and whether or not we agree to whether that lesson was received or not, We see God's grace in action. And so this morning for our outline, the way I want to break up this passage is we're going to see first the discovery of God's grace. Where do we discover God's grace? Second, we're going to talk about the surprise of God's grace. And lastly, we'll consider by looking at the lessons of God's grace. And so my first point is the discovery of God's grace, beginning in verse 17 all the way through the middle part of verse 6. And so as wild as it is to imagine a man caught up in a great sea creature and how most people want to take time to talk about this miracle and that's what Jonah 2 seems to always take our attention, I believe that that the real miracle in Jonah is not a big fish, but it's the fact that God's grace changes sinners. Jonah here in the first chapter, is not looking good. He is a runaway prophet who wants to have no part in seeing his evil, barbaric enemies be rescued from God's judgment. 
Jonah in the first chapter is presented as a coward who thinks of himself only and puts other people at risk because of his sin. He says that he is a Hebrew, in verse 9, who worships the God of, of, of the sea and dry land, but yet he somehow thinks that he can outrun this God. He is such a coward that instead of even throwing himself overboard, he makes the mariners who are with him to do it for him. So far in this story, there is nothing commendable about Jonah. And in fact, the author is kind of giving us a few clues. One of the observations we see in Jonah is is this theme of downward. Jonah, in verse 3, he went down to Joppa. And then he went down to the bottom of the boat. And then he went down to the bottom of the sea. And then down into the belly of a great fish. And what we are trying to be told by the author is that Jonah's physical proximity correlates or corresponds to his spiritual proximity to God. That the further Jonah physically goes, it is a picture of where he is spiritually. And so as Jonah is now in this fish, reflecting on his experience, imagine the emotions that he has. Imagine the self-perception he now can have about himself. He is pretty realistic. In verse 2, he says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. That's the the Hebrew word for for the dead or the grave, the underworld. Jonah is saying, I was in the throes of death itself. He says, I was cast into the heart of the sea and the flood surrounded me. More than this, Jonah even knows the sovereignty of God in his circumstances. It's not merely that he he ended up in this situation. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, for you cast me into the deep. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is at this point where he can sink no further. That he knows that God was the one who hurled that storm. That it was God's waves billowing over him. And when he got to literal rock bottom, he was in the worst possible physical circumstances. But he was in the absolute best place spiritually to discover God's grace. God had to bring Jonah all the way down for him to finally learn who the God of Israel is really like. I wonder if you've ever been camping in a very remote area before with no light pollution at all. And maybe one night you, you light a fire and You take a few steps back for a second and as you're walking to your tent or your motel that you call a trailer, you look up at the night sky and you see thousands of stars. When I lived in Chicago, I think at one point you could see maybe seven stars. (laughs) Compared to where I grew up in Tehachapi, California, every night we would look and see the Milky Way. See, sometimes it is in the darkness that we can best see the light. Sometimes when we are at our all-time low in our circumstances where God makes us desperate, 
that we can actually discover his grace. And so this is what happens with Jonah. We have a big change. In Jonah 1, he runs away from the Lord. At Jonah 2, he says, salvation belongs to the Lord. Where did the change happen? Well, it happened when the Lord brought him into a place of darkness, brought him low. The Lord sovereignly put things in his life to get him to the place where he can finally discover his merciful heart. And so, friends, we need to realize that oftentimes we do not discover God's grace when everything is going well. When we are living our independent lives, when we have money and affluence and entertainment, and we do not feel the desperateness of our sin, we have a hard time of seeing God's grace. But just like Jonah, the Lord will hurl a great storm at us. He will pull that rug right under our feet. He will bring us to the end of our tether. And maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you feel like your circumstances have led you to the place in which you feel like the bars of life having, have overcome you. You are drowning in the depths of the sea. But it's not always circumstances. The Lord uses many other things to get our attention. Anytime the Lord reveals our desperation, we are being put in the perfect position to discover God's grace. Sometimes the Lord will use a pastor. And as he is preaching, you are being convicted of your sin. Maybe it's a parent a coworker, a child, a friend. And the Lord uses maybe a circumstance or a friend and, and, and you, you start realizing, I have a real problem. That for once in my life, I'm going to be honest, that I need the Lord. And what the Lord needs to do is he needs to sometimes take away our crutches, our prosperity, our health, so we can discover his grace. And so the discovery of God's grace always begins with God showing us the desperate need we have. Consider the first beatitude that Jesus teaches in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. Jesus says, the first way you begin by living in my kingdom is you recognize how desperate you are, spiritually speaking. That you are needy of God's grace. And so no one comes to that conclusion on their own. We need the Lord's help to show us just how desperate we are. And so, friends, I hope this point that I'm making gives us a better perspective about the trials the Lord brings to our lives. Like, like I said, one of the themes of Jonah we see throughout the whole story is the sovereignty of God, how God appointed a great fish. In chapter 4, God appoints a plant. God appoints a scorching heat. God is sovereignly always working in our circumstances to teach us more about who he is. And so the Lord led Jonah all the way down into darkness where he felt like he was in death's grip and he was in the perfect position. And so in the face of difficult circumstances, it is easy to grow discouraged. It is easy to grow weary but we need to understand what Jonah is teaching us here and what scriptures teach us 
is that God ordains the trials and the storms of life to refine our faith and to teach us more about who he is, which is why the Apostle Peter can write to early Christians who are suffering for their faith in 1 Peter 1. He says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So where do we discover God's grace? In those moments of brokenness. Those moments where we are brought low. In the dark, we best see the light of the gospel. And so may we all learn to discover God's grace in the lowly stations we at times find ourselves in. So that's where Jonah discovered God's grace at his low point. But next we see in this story the surprise of God's grace. And so again, as we imagine trying to be in Jonah's shoes for a moment, being scrunched up in the belly of this fish, Jonah had a realization that this fish was not a punishment, but it was his salvation. Even though Jonah wasn't on dry land yet when he was giving this prayer, he knew that the Lord had saved him from drowning. His, he recognized his willful disobedience, how he ran away from the Lord. He recognized his cowardice, that while these Pagans, sailors are praying to their false gods. The true prophet of God lay there asleep, apathetic. The coward who put other people in harm's way recognized that God didn't need to save him. In fact, I would argue God shouldn't have saved him. His watery death was his just punishment. But here's a surprise. Verse 2. I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of death itself, I cried, and you heard my voice. He didn't deserve this. Yet God answered him. To Jonah's amazement and great surprise, He gets a response that he did not see coming. Verse 6, he says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Some of the greatest words in the Bible are those little two words, yet God. But God. In Ephesians 2, we read, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And you were by nature children of rest like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. It's too good not to read another one. In Romans 5, 
For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you and for me. Jonah knew he was helpless, unable to save himself, dead as a doornail type dead, in a, not just a sticky situation. The billows were rolling over his life. Yet you raised my life from the pit. It's a marvel. It's a surprise. And the surprise of grace is this, that the Lord gives us what we don't deserve. That he answers us when he doesn't have to. And not just the first time, not just the second time, but again and again and again as we live our Christian lives. We are always surprised to be met when we confess and acknowledge our sin before God to be met with more grace and mercy than we could ever have imagined. And so as you read about Jonah here and this great deliverance he had from this aquatic death. Consider the great deliverance that God has worked in your own life. Perhaps God has saved you in these last few months or years, and, and maybe God has delivered you from difficulties and trials, from, from sinful addictions and ungodly passions. Consider what God has delivered you from. Perhaps you became a Christian years ago, or, or maybe as a child, all Christians have been delivered from God's just punishment for our sins because of Christ. A punishment far greater than any raging sea can dole out. And so how much more, friends, should we praise God for the salvation we have in Christ? So when you sing spiritual songs and hymns about the great salvation that God has brought in your life, sing with your whole heart. Realize that you, just like Jonah, were going in the opposite direction. You were a helpless man among raging waves and death clenched around you. Yet God saved you. See, what we learn about this runaway prophet is that God is a lot like that children's story we read with our kids about the, the runaway bunny. This little baby bunny does everything he can to try to get away from mom. He runs as fast as he can to get away from mom seeing him. But every turn of the page, what do we see? That mother bunny is right there with her watchful and protective gaze. Jonah shows us that no one can ever outrun God's grace in our life. And so maybe that's you this morning where you are doing everything possible to outrun God, where you are digging yourself in a hole. But I want to encourage you, let God's grace surprise you. Be like little baby bunny who looks over his shoulder. Look up to the Lord. Call out to him and be surprised of this. that He will answer you. 
I am telling you that no matter how far away you feel from God or how far you have run from God, he will hear you when you pray to him. Do you believe that, church? What stops you from praying? What stops you from calling out to the Lord? For some, it's the guilt, the shame, the embarrassment we have from doing the things that we know we shouldn't do. Maybe we relapsed. Maybe we disgraced our name and we're afraid to talk to the Lord about it. Maybe we think that God doesn't care about us. Perhaps you're too busy or you're afraid to use the right words. No matter your reasons, please let the story of Jonah, a man who is at the utter bottom of the ocean, encourage you that God hears that if you call out to him, he will bring you up from the pits, that this is the God we have, a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Confess your sins to him. Confess your wandering. Acknowledge your lack of prayer. Acknowledge your lack of skill. Remember the Lord. That's what he says in verse 7. When my life was fainting away, I remember the Lord and my prayer came to you. Some of you, the best application I can give you right now is stop listening for the rest of the sermon and just go talk. Go to the Lord now. Don't wait till you get in the car. Cry out to him because he will hear you. Let us be reminded of what Psalm 139 teaches us. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. And so when Jonah discovered God's grace and he called out to the Lord, he got a response that he didn't expect. He was surprised to meet a God who was merciful, who saves sinners. And for those of us who are believers, who are Christians, may we never stop marveling and being surprised at the grace there is in Christ. May we never stop calling out to our good God in the moments of our desperation. And this leads us thirdly to the lessons of God's grace. A saying you may have heard before if you've been a Christian for any matter of time is where grace reaches grace teaches. When we experience God's grace, it never leaves us the way it found us. So Paul would tell a young pastor by the name of Titus in chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace does not just pardon. It promotes godliness. 
Grace does not just reach us, it teaches us. Grace is our tutor, what Paul tells Titus. It's our tutor of making the doctrine of God, the salvation that we have, attractive. We adorn the gospel when we let grace be our tutor. And so Jonah is no exception. I want to just tease out three brief lessons that grace teaches us from Jonah's prayer. First lesson that grace teaches us is it teaches us to forsake our counterfeit hopes. He would say in verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So Jonah knows the temptation of every human heart that we want to find security and safety and salvation in created things. We run to money, our own ability to solve problems. We, we run to pleasure, to family, to political leaders to be our lifeline when we are desperate. And so an idol, biblically speaking, can be anything that we run to for our security. But Jonah says here, when we do that, when we call out to these idols, we forsake the grace that is ours. We forsake the steadfast love. Why? Because verse 8 is really just him explaining maybe the greatest verse in the entire Bible. And I, and I am using no preacher hyperbole when I say that, that Jonah chapter 2 verse 9 is maybe the greatest summary of the Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. No idol, person, or thing can save you. Only the Lord. And so when we experience God's grace, it teaches us to look at the, the normal things that we like to run to for our security and happiness and comfort and recognize, no, my salvation is in Christ. I need to reject the idols. And when I do go to those idols, thinking that they will deliver me out of my desperation, I'm just forsaking the grace that is mine. Our problem is we tend to think that we can straighten out our paths on our own. I can solve my problems by the sweat of my own brow, by the pulling up of my bootstraps. And living in a, an affluent society with money and entertainment and leisure, we understand that there is a sense in which we are being trained to not feel desperate. But you are. Because when it comes to the, the salvation of our souls, the predicament that our sins have incurred, the right judgment of God's wrath, there is no idol or person or thing that can save you, which is why the apostles boldly proclaim in Acts 4, there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so grace, what does it teach us? to run from counterfeit hopes, and to fully put our faith, trust, and allegiance in Christ who can save us from the wrath to come. More than this, though, grace teaches us to respond to our salvation with thanksgiving. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Notice that Jonah doesn't merely just give thanks. It actually changes his, his actions and attitudes and behavior. He now agrees to pay what he has vowed. And so we read in, in Colossians 1 where, where Paul talks to those believers who have received the gospel. He says to them, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
Well, what does that mean? He says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. In Romans 12, we're, we're being taught that the way we respond to the gospel is by having lives that are living sacrifices, that we don't just compartmentalize our thanks to a Sunday morning gathering, but our whole life now is, is shaped by this great deliverance we have in Christ. And so when you come to church, don't sing these songs because they're good tunes or because you want to make someone happy. Sing because you have been delivered. Sing because you have a heart overflowing with thankfulness that I was lost, but now I am found. When you pray to God, do not pray because he needs you to talk to him. Pray because you love the God of your salvation. When you serve others, do not merely serve because you had a guilt trip having to teach Sunday school. Do it because you want to show the love, compassion, and grace that the Lord has shown you. Lastly, we see that grace, our third point, grace always has more to teach us. There's really no shortage of views on how to interpret Jonah. Some people argue that Jonah doesn't actually resemble any true repentance in this prayer. Prefer to see Jonah being more self-centered and to see the satire and the irony running through the story. I prefer to see Jonah as a man who is conflicted. A man who is a true prophet of God who knows the Lord, but who struggles with justice as he looks at his barbaric evil enemies and God's desire to save them. Imagine right now you tell an Israeli who watched his neighbors yesterday die and get kidnapped and held hostage to go to those same enemies and to preach God's love, forgiveness, and mercy. I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but can you imagine the conflict within that person? That they're enemies who have openly assaulted them. And that is the scandal of God's grace. And that is the scandal of Jonah. That God even looks at those who we in our own eyes don't think are worthy of mercy and says that his mercy is more. And that his grace is sufficient. And so Jonah, we're going to learn in chapters 3 and 4, he has more to learn on this story. That grace has begun to work in his life, but in chapter 4, we're going to see the Lord has more object lessons for this prophet. And so God is not done with Jonah, nor is he done ever with us. God wants Jonah to see his merciful heart. And the irony of the story is that Jonah so, can so joyously receive this salvation, but be shy to see it extended to others. How about for us in our church's month-long emphasis on mission? Are we those who are so eager to accept God's mercy and grace, but yet shy to see it extended to others? 
And so we'll explore this more in chapter 4, but for now we must say that God is always teaching us more about his grace in order that it may reach down into our hearts, that we may reflect the God who has made us, the God who is slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And so what we see in this well-known passage of Scripture is that the Lord sovereignly leads us to the end of ourselves. He brings us low. He reveals our desperation in order that we can see his merciful heart and become more like him. And that's what Jonah felt. He felt as if he went all the way down to death. But where Jonah felt as if he went to death, Jesus Christ went all the way into death. Where Jonah ran away from the mission that God gave him, Jesus Christ condescended into this world and preached God's message. Where Jonah slept on a boat in his spiritual apathy, Jesus calmed his fear, the disciples' fear by calming the storm because he is the one who made the sea and dry land. Where Jonah only thought of himself, Christ thought only of others. Where Jonah sank because of his own demise, Jesus Christ went into the pit because of the sin of others. And so what Jonah too is actually teaching us is that God the Father, like God the Son, go all the way down, even to a cross and into a borrowed tomb in order to show us his merciful heart. That the Lord, the type of God that the Lord is, is he is a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. At times the Lord needs to bring us low to show us just how merciful and gracious he is. And what we are always surprised with that in Christ there is always more grace and more mercy than we could ever hope for or imagine. And so may we as a church and as individuals when we are reminded of God's grace be merciful to others like Adonai and Judson who took the gospel to those who never heard it. Let's pray. Oh God of our salvation, how can we ever say enough thanks for the great pardon you have given us and secured for us in your son, Jesus Christ? Lord, we thank you that you hear us when we pray. Lord, I want to just encourage all of our hearts Lord, that you care, that you notice, that you see, that you are sovereignly involved in every detail of our lives. You know the hairs on our head. And Lord, you are loving and kind at times to, to make us get to the point where we are so desperate we have no other option but to call upon your name. Thank you, Lord, that you will always answer us. No matter where we are in life, no matter what we have done, Thank you for the hope and the promise of the gospel that Christ has paid for all of our sins. May our love and zeal and thankfulness constantly grow as we reflect and meditate on this good news. We pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus.